It is a damn good day to have a damn good day. We're live, the damn good day show. Cliff Braun, Ray, welcome to the show, my man. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Quite the setup you have here. Very cool. It's nice, right? Very nice. We always try to figure out a way to incorporate a living room into a podcast that could quickly be switched without being too much living room or too much podcast. You know what I mean? Very well done. You know, you need to have an inviting space. The last time we had a whole room, but now in this new spot, we have an extra bedroom so the family can visit. (laughs) So we incorporated it into the lifestyle, which has been really fun. It's like the Today Show and they have their little cup of coffee and they're like, oh, (laughs) this is the modern day millennial version of the Today Show. That's amazing. Let's clip that. But it's interesting that you're here today. First of all, congratulations on experiencing Miami. I heard you had to spend 600 bucks on, on two-person dinner the other day. <laughs> it's hot in Miami. Is that the number one price also stands out in my mind for Miami, but it is unbelievably hot. I mean, it's just like, you know, I live in South America and this is, I lived in Africa for four years and this is hot. Yeah, this is really hot. It's, I, I'm a huge connoisseur of Florida. If you talk to me long enough, I'm going to convince you to move. Florida is the play. But summers in Florida, they suck. It, this is unbearably hot. It, it is beautiful. I notice it's so beautiful when I'm inside. And I'm so jealous. And I'm looking at everybody all happy and shiny and outside. And then I go outside and I just can't wait to get back inside. But really, like, if you think about it, you know, to your point of how nice it is here, you're usually in a restaurant. Or if you're outside, they have, like, we had dinner at that same place that uh, we did the cigars. And once they brought the fan, everything changed. It was like so comfortable. Yeah, it was phenomenal. Española, Española yeah. Way. That's, yeah, yeah. It's a great spot. Beautiful street. Super good. So many good places to eat. So before stay we- away from the lobster and buying girl shots. <laughs> it's different than in <laughs> Colombia. Oh my god, fifty dollars a shot in Colombia. It's like fifty cents a shot. No, I'm. It's not that cheap, but uh, yeah. I mean, it's fifty cents if you get the cheaper stuff. Oh sure, sorry, five bucks. Yeah, if you get, you get the- like the agua diente, like far. It's funny. Every country has their version of crappy, like clear alcohol. You know, every country ha- has one, and uh, yeah, Colombia's is agua agua diente. So I want to make sure everyone learns who you guys are, right? So originally, I had connected with Cliff, and I'll just give a quick background. I knew you, Cliff before through we were in a a network marketing company called Vima like 10 years back and I never really connected with you but I always knew you because you were just this awesome figure you were basically famous in the industry and you had had infinite swag (laughs) and uh it's just I've always kind of kept tabs on just sort of your career we have a bunch of mutual friends and BK Bareko Matt Morrow and uh you're living a life that I sort of completely admire you're living in Colombia. You travel the world. It's unbelievable. And just spending a minute with you and seeing your level of networking was unbelievable. So oh, thank, thank you. you for being here. Well, thank you. Thank you. God, Vima feels like it was yesterday. It doesn't feel like 10 years ago, does it? A oh, thousand percent. Well, and every time I come to Miami, and this is how I knew you were a great guy before we really like connected is every time I come, because BK is such a great guy. And every time I come here, BK is like, you got to meet Ian. You got to meet Ian. You guys got to hang out. And so I, I missed you the last few times, so I'm glad we got a chance to connect this time. Absolutely. And Ray, special guest. I'm so glad you're here. I came for the ride, but it's been pleasant so far. That's awesome. Ray, tell, yeah. me, about, tell me about yourself. Um, I'm in commercial real estate, so I've been doing it for a little over 25 years, and uh, it's been a, a nice ride. Yeah, Ray's wow. very modest. He's the biggest. He just showed me a project that he's, he's building in Santa Barbara. And like for those of you get, well, everybody knows where Santa Barbara is. But like, I always thought New York and LA were like the two most expensive places in the world. It's not true at Santa Barbara. 
specifically uh, Montecito. It's it's a very special place. A lot of celebrities and a lot of you know wealthy people have, especially right after COVID hit, they've kind of all come into town. Drove up the prices as well, unfortunately for the locals. But, so specifically, but, commercial though. Uh, Residential and well, commercials been it's case specific. I mean, location driven. Uh, some commercial actually has done really well. Some of the commercial I own uh, is in the funk zone, which is a up and coming place on the waterfront that's um, been doing really well recently. God, I wish we could pull up a um, rendering of this hotel that he's building. I, I've we've all seen pools that have like clear sides. His pool in this hotel has a clear bottom. It's a glass. It's a glass pool. It's the sickest thing and I've so, ever seen. It, and it's on the rooftop. And so, <laughs> as you come into the lobby, you look up. You basically have a glass bottom um, pool to look at. That's incredible. People. Well, so when you told me about that, I just instantly thought all the free marketing you're gonna get from everyone taking Instagram pics. Pretty brilliant. That's amazing. So, what what brought you into that world? Uh, the hospitality is uh, diversification. I own multifamily apartments, some office, retail, and get into, into hospitality was a way of diversifying. And I had an existing uh, Forever 21 store. It was a flagship store. They went bust uh, during COVID. And so now I've, you know, entitled it, or I'm in the process of entitling it into a boutique hotel. What was the deal with a lot of the commercial spots when COVID hit? There was this really shitty scenario where basically people just were, it, weren't paying rent. It, it was probably one of the worst times of my life. It was a nightmare. <laughs> uh, I had tenants that weren't paying rent. Uh, I had the government, federal government, the state government handcuffing me, saying I can't do anything. And at the same time... That, the state and, and the federal government were handing out lots of money to the tenants in the form of a PPP loan or grant or the combination of both. But they also didn't force them to pay their rent. So some were <laughs> some some were choosing to not pay. And so meantime, my lenders want money. I have to pay my property taxes. I have to pay my insurance. And the, the other part I had. It took three and a half years to get entitlements on this beach complex that I was building. And right when COVID hit, the city of Santa Barbara said, your permit is ready. And so I decided to take, take action and, and build that out. So now I'm spending seven figures on a redevelopment, not collecting rent. Of course, I didn't know how long that's gonna last. Had I known, I probably would have waited, but I didn't. I ended up starting construction, going through the process of you know, building it and tenants not paying me. Eventually, 70% of them ended up paying me, but much, much later. I was floating them. 30% of them didn't pay. And, uh, you know, at that point, you know. That must have been such a delicate balance between your communications with them during that. It's yeah. like we're friends, but at the same time. We'll yeah, we're partners essentially with your tenants, but, you know, it's it's frustrating. You know, it. it but my anger wasn't at the tenants. My anger was really about the government crafting, uh, 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 you know, such laws really fast without really thinking it out. Um, that's you, you know, had to learn on your feet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they didn't think about okay, well, how can we make this fair to everyone so that the banks are going to get paid as well? Because I'm sure some people couldn't pay, right? Right. I mean, yeah. 
fortunately for me, I had some dry, 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 you know, powder to pay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what are some of the tactics that you use when you get hit with that huge reality check? I mean, is it, do you, do you find yourself being able to get over things faster than you have maybe in the past or like it's what's the grieving process like the grieving process i mean i felt like you know the system's not fair of course you know i apply for a loan from the government they turn me down you know and i try to appeal it they still turn me down i needed the money more than anyone else you know to keep things alive but i still had the money i just didn't know how long covid's gonna last you know? Yeah. But I made it just, just barely. Congratulations. You know? <laughs> Jeez. I had the opposite experience during COVID. All I did was stay home and saved a bunch of money while he's bleeding money. And I, I was probably more productive during that eight months cause I was stuck in my apartment, you know, but I'll, I'll never do that again. Were you in Medellin when that happened? Yeah. We had like the world's longest lockdown, I think is like eight months. And it did. It was so crazy because Medellin is like the most free place in the world, right? It's like no rules. It's how it feels. But during COVID, it became the exact opposite. It felt like Nazi Germany. You had to download an app if you wanted to go to the mall and tell the app when you were going to uh, go, when you're going to be back. All of that's gone now, but it got really weird for a minute. You had to download an app. Yeah. You can only be outside for 15 minutes a day to walk your dog. It's just bizarre. Everything's totally back to normal now. And Medellin is once again, the best place on earth. But yeah, that just COVID was weird. Well, they have that one rule in Colombia where that has to do with um, air pollution, right? When certain days, oh, yeah. only certain cars can Pica, be on the road. Yeah. How does that work? I, I, I can't tell you exactly how it works, but essentially, if your license plate ends in a certain number, there's two days a week that you're not supposed to drive. People still do it sometimes, but if you get caught, you get a ticket. And you could easily get caught because it's, you know, the cops know what day and the license plate. So, yeah, I, I think it's called Pica Placa. Yeah, there you go. Um, but yeah, everybody, well, because Medellin is a valley and Medellin means forever, eternal springtime. And you know, you've been there. It's just beautiful. So beautiful. Um, but it's, it's a valley. And so there's a smog can get trapped in the center of the city. So I live like up on the, the higher outer part where it's like the higher up you get, the cooler it gets and the less pollution. So where I am, it's like 75 degrees every day and sunny and parrots are flying around. Here it's a macaw. We call it a guacamaja, but they're monogamous for life. So you see it always in twos. And if you see a third one, it's like the little baby. It's so cute. And so I always say Medellin is almost like New York and uh, Jurassic Park had a kid. You get the city and you get all the trees and it's just so beautiful. But yeah, what you're talking about is, uh, I believe it's called Pica Placa and it's yeah, it's just to, to re reduce some of that trapped smog in the valley. And Ray, you're about to experience it for the first time. I am. In a couple, right. in a couple of days, I'm looking to uh, explore uh, potentially investing in real estate there. Amazing. Uh, one thing I've learned from COVID, um, you know, and California, uh, they constantly make it harder to own property with all their new laws and rent, you know, caps and all the regulations that go with like renting a, even an apartment or a commercial space. Well, and even just inflation it, it, and the prices. It, it just makes it very, very difficult to be a landlord. And so now I'm trying to diversify a little bit in, in real estate as well as other assets like cryptocurrencies. And that's what we met know. through a Bitcoin through a Bitcoin conference or a dinner. It was a crypto conference in Austin a few months ago. We that's met right. there and, uh, so I'm, I'm pretty bullish on Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. And so 
I've been diversifying a little and bit. And you guys are here for the conference right now in Miami. Yeah, it's an NFT conference. It's a, a friend of mine that I met in the network marketing industry like 20 years ago. And then I kind of retired from network marketing like five or six years ago. And, and he sort of did too. And he started working with an exchange. And I've been working with an exchange while well, I work with exchanges. And uh, he came to Columbia to visit. Then he told me about this event. So we, we uh, yeah, we're supposed to be in his event right now. It's an amazing event. But we'll go back in a little. They'll be fine without us. Yeah, quick pod appearance. Yeah. I and mean, you guys are rock stars. Yeah. You know? Well, and it sounds cool. Where were you? Oh, I'm sorry. I had a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The NFT space is interesting. That seems like, what, what's the skinny on that? So here's the thing is like with, with crypto, there's so many different facets to crypto, right? You got mining, you got trading, you got, you know, NFTs, you got blockchain, you got web, web 3.0 people, you have metaverse, you have all these different things and you can't be an expert at all of them. So NFT is not my, my expertise, you know, non-fungible tokens, but, um, I've got a lot of great jokes about NFTs. So somebody was saying, how do you explain an NFT? And it's like, well, she's your wife, but everybody else gets to sleep with her too. <laughs> you know, everyone gets to see the art and anyone can take a screenshot, but it gives you ownership and rights. And, and so it is an interesting space. I think, you know, like the text message that you sent me this morning, I think like a lot of things, it prematurely popped. And, you know, it's like all over the news, Justin Bieber bought a, an ape, you know, NFT for like, how much was 1, it? 1.3 million. That's worth 60,000. Now. now it's worth like $9. <laughs> Um, people love sharing those stories. You know? I, uh, it's like uh, gets people hard. They're so excited. Like, look at this rich guy who uh, failed. Yeah. This is why I never, never got into NFT. Yeah, it makes them feel better uh, about uh, yeah their decision, indecision. So yeah. if you think like when the internet first came out, it was super popular and everything.com was just blowing up, you know, but internet speed wasn't there and security wasn't there and people were still scared to put their credit cards in. You know, my brother and I started one of the first online shopping malls way back in the day. And shoot, we were having a hard time just getting people to use the internet. You started your own platform? Yeah, this is buying a long and trading? time. This is, uh, no, no, this is an online shopping mall. This is like back when Amazon.com was first oh, started. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, but it's just interesting. Like, so the internet, you know, is .com and then .bomb. And then Bitcoin saw the same thing. NFT saw the same thing. Things get excited and, and everybody goes, goes crazy. And then it's not really like... For example, Bitcoin is kind of like where downloading music was before iTunes. You could do it with LimeWire, you know, Napster, Kazaa, but you had to be a music freak or a total nerd in the tech world, right? And so Bitcoin's in that same place right now where it doesn't have mass adoption because it's too hard to use for the average person. So everybody knows about Bitcoin, but how many places really accept Bitcoin? Not that many. So what I've been doing for the past like five years is working with exchanges that have a card solution connected to an app where you can sell your Bitcoin and then the money goes on the card and then you're, you're, you're spending cash everywhere you go, but it's coming out of your crypto. Got it. So, so you're also working with Bitcoin ATMs are going to become a, a big thing. I know a lot of people that were in that space yep. got hurt pretty bad when everything went down and a lot of those disappeared. Are those going to be coming back in droves? Yes, I think so. And it, another area of, of crypto that's not my expertise, but it's so interesting. I always say I'm like a mix between, you know, Forrest Gump and Peter Pan. Like I never grew up and I don't know how I made it this far in life without knowing like so many things, but I'm, I'm always like arm's length away from the guy that really knows. And so like, I've got a friend who's one of the biggest Bitcoin ATM guys like in the world. And it, it's the same for traders, miners, exchanges. I've just been super lucky. Like if I had a superpower, it would probably just be like making friends. Like I know a guy, I'm never the guy, but I know him <laughs> like Ray, you know, I mean, this guy's a whale. He's a total monster. He's very humble, but, uh, 
you know so yeah we both had a passion for crypto and then we, you know we started talking about that and then you know we just it's funny what, like when you find someone that you like you just find ways to spend more time together and so we started talking about real estate and bitcoin and just started hanging out more and yeah well the big thing i get with you and i think it's why we all vibe is you're just you genuinely like people you know you're a people person you know i think if you like yourself you typically like other people like don't you find a lot of people that hate everybody else they really hate themselves you know, so true. true. Right. It's, it's like, I hate everybody. No, you hate yourself. It's almost <laughs> like that. You know, you walk in and some person makes like a sly comment about you and, and you take it personal, but really it's like, who hurt you, bro? <laughs> you know, why are you so upset with life? There's no reason to pull people down. I think like a couple of like solid core things is you need to have an abundance mentality in life. There's so much to go around. You don't have to right. worry about competitive, like competition. The reality is everyone can win. Sure, at the end of the day, you can um, you can face some trivial stuff, but there's enough to go around. Maybe not in real estate these days in the U.S., which is why we're looking in Colombia. Yeah, <laughs> and other assets like Bitcoin. Yeah. yeah, and it's interesting. With what would be your like? What's your skinny on your belief on where people should diversify into Bitcoin in today? Because a lot of stuff that I see, and I'm no expert. I mean, I had my yeah. money in BlockFi. So uh, for anyone that's familiar with it, BlockFi took a $400 million loan, I believe, from FTX. So when FTX shut down, I got screwed because he couldn't withdraw the money out of BlockFi. Ouch, yeah. I think right now, um, if someone is a total novice and wants to get into Bitcoin, they could they could do it. They can go into the um, Bitcoin Pro Shares. Uh, the symbol is B-I-T-O. And you can open up a brokerage account and, and, and just buy the... Um, it's a derivative of Bitcoin, but it is one to one. So when Bitcoin moves, it moves the same, approximately the same percentage each direction. And that's available right now. You don't have to wait for BlackRock to have their spot ETF Bitcoin um, approved by the SEC. You can do this right now and buy BITO and get your position in Bitcoin. Um, so I would I would recommend uh, listeners to to get into that product. As, Interesting, you know, if you wanted to. I mean, of course, you can get into the publicly traded miners, um, but if you if you don't want to get into mining and just have a, a play on Bitcoin, you can buy this ProShares. Yep, I'm I'm like more of a, a Bitcoin purist, where like I like to hold the private keys. And most millennials like to learn about crypto, but he's like at a whole nother level financially than I am. There's, I, I feel like a lot of the older people that have money, they don't want to learn all the little details. And so being able to invest with the institution is so much easier, you know? Um, for me, it's like I've just nerded out on crypto. So like, you know the saying, not your keys, not your crypto. So like I have a friend, I won't mention his name, but he lost tens of millions of dollars just recently with the whole FTX. And he had it spread across 19 different places. But when FTX went down, Celsius, Voyager, like, you know, they kind of all right. went down. And so he felt very safe because he was like, well, I put it in 19 different places, but not your keys, not your crypto. So it just depends on how nerdy you want to get like into it. For, for me, I think like there's different levels of risk, like just buying Bitcoin. And it's interesting because like the lower the risk, the, the lower the return. Right. So that the safest thing you could do is just buy Bitcoin and hold it. Right. And, and you could buy it that way or this way, like either way, whatever. But buying it and holding it, that's probably the safest. Then you've got mining. Then trading can be more risky. But like as you get into more risky, you also get into more higher returns, but also higher risk, you know. Like dating a hot chick, they just get crazier. 
same philosophy. I mean, so. that's the truest thing. You had one of the most amazing quotes of all time. I think you need to share. Oh gosh. Can I say that on here? I don't know if you can. I think you can. Why not? I mean, you could just bleep it out or put like a little sign over my mouth, but yeah. well, we were just talking about, you know, bad breakups and I truly believe like all my ex-girlfriends were awesome. I was always the problem. So I don't have any animosity toward any of my ex-girlfriends, but I remember there was a time when I was having a hard time with a, a girl and somebody said this to me. They said, well, and I said, why are you still with her? And I was like, God, she's just so hot and the sex is so good. And she said, I'll never forget it. She's like, well, is the fucking you're getting worth the fucking you're getting? <laughs> and I was and like, we all need to ask ourselves that question. Yeah. I was know? just, you know, I, I was getting screwed over for great sex. And, um, you know, eventually that doesn't last forever. The thing that I thought was really, I, I thought that was one of the most hilarious, amazing quotes ever, first of all. But I, it's interesting with the BlockFi, the FTX thing that happened, because I know maybe 15 years ago, if that had happened to me, I would have been super just upset about it. Felt like, oh, this sucks. But I think a lot through network marketing and just personal development, I've learned not to have a victim mentality. Yeah. And that's helps tremendously. It's like in life, you make some investments that are good, some investments that are bad. You don't dwell on the past. You move forward. So it's like when Vima shut down even 10 years ago and everyone lost these checks, you know, there are people today that still feel like they were victims, yeah. that they, they were coerced. And, and to me, it's like, look, at, at the end of the day, you need to make, you need to take risk and it's calculated risk. You need to learn from it, yep. but don't feel like someone else is out there. You live and you learn, you know? There's a big difference between pain and suffering. Pain is what actually happens and suffering is all the emotional drama that we attach to it and drag it out. You know, pain is real. Suffering is just, we get addicted to being a victim because there's some payoffs in being a victim. People feel sorry for you. And, and, and also most people have a victim mentality. So you have a lot of friends, you know, when you're a total winner with a, you know, I can do an attitude, you know, there, there's less Eagles. There's, there's more crows. That's interesting. There's some Game of Thrones stuff going on right there. But we, we got to talk to Ray about, so Ray knows so much about finance. So like with, with Bitcoin, you were talking about the government and all the things that are going to affect, like what, because well, we have such different backgrounds and you, you've got so much more knowledge like in finance and everything. What's your whole take on Bitcoin or like anything that you want to talk about in that? You know, I just think it's interesting what's happening. I mean, um, the reason why I, I am bullish on, on Bitcoin is you've got one of the largest asset management companies, BlackRock, applying for a uh, spot ETF of Bitcoin. And they have a really, really good track record and they have good ties with the government. And so I think with their influence as a huge amount of credibility with their influence and their reputation, there's a good chance that within the next six months they will get approved for a spot ETF. And if they get approved along with Fidelity and, and all these other companies that are also trying to get the ETF approved, it'll just broaden the channels of them attracting more capital into the space, which will push more demand to buy Bitcoin. And that'll increase the price of Bitcoin. That's the main driver of, of price, in my opinion. Do you remember in the, in the beginning of Bitcoin when everybody was wondering, like, is Bitcoin going to stay around or is it? And then I feel like once so much smart money got into it, like there's too many big investors and too many institutions now and too much smart money into it for it. To, I mean, obviously anything could fail, but I, I feel like that gives it so much credibility. It's like a lot of credibility. The other the other uh, the, the second reason um, next year between February and April sometime we have the having uh, so the mining difficulty, you know, basically um, increases. 
I, I read recently, it said after the halving, you could add a zero to the price, price of Bitcoin historically. And it's interesting too, because when you look at, there's only been so many halvings, the list of halvings in the future is like this long versus how many there were in the past. So there's still a lot of them. And yeah, that does just keep pushing the price up. Yeah, so historically, uh, six months after a halving, the price goes up a lot. And so I'm, I'm just looking at historically, that's another catalyst. Uh, the third catalyst is, I believe it's, it's my own personal opinion that we're, we're headed towards the end of the rate cycle. There probably will be one or two more increases in interest rates, but then we're gonna plateau. And normally the time to get into Bitcoin is when we're plateauing, right before we plateau. Cause you, you don't wanna wait until they're done, right? Cause then, you know, the, the smart money is already in before the other, you know, other money is going to be coming. And I don't want to say dumb money, but you want to, you want to, you want to get in now. So when the Fed raises interest rates, maybe it could happen one or two more times. That's, I, that's ideally, ideally, ideally we're, we're, we're almost at the end. I'm not saying we're at the end. We, we could probably have one or two more rate increases, but then, you know, the cowbell is, is ringing for, yeah. for the bulls. Um, that's, that's, that's basically my, um, my, my third reason, the fourth reason I would say is um, we'll be going into the um, presidential elections and a lot of the candidates are going to that are running are going to be talking about some kind of regulation favorably or not so much favorably, but having some kind of framework for for cryptocurrencies, um, which which the industry just wants the rule book, you know, they, they want, want their piece. Yeah. They, they, that's the big conversation, but, right but, now. but, but, but they're left in the dark right now. And so that will put a lot of pressure. I'm sure a lot of these whales are lobbying these candidates to have some set of rules. And so I think it's going to be a big hot topic in the, in the political campaign trail. And so hopefully that will put the pressure and it'll put some pressure on our, um, our chairman of this sec. It's yeah. like perfect storm. Well, right now, there's never been a bigger war against crypto than there is right now. It's, it's interesting because, like, I think the government and the banks originally thought, well, we'll just figure out how to shut it down. But it's decentralized. It's not like Napster. You can't just go and unplug it. You know what I mean? It's like it's it's hosted by all the miners all over the world. So once they realized they couldn't shut it down, now they're trying to strangle it with regulation. And having worked with this private bank and with different exchanges, I mean, we felt it tremendously, a huge increase of regulation. And you see it with the SEC and Ripple. You see it with um, with Binance and CZ. Um, it's just, it's, it's wild. It's, it's crazy. But you really just can't stop it. You know, crypto is just, and, and they said like, well, what if all the miners stopped mining? Well, they wouldn't. E even if you stop paying them, the people would do it for free because they're so passionate about it. So like, you know, I can't say nothing will ever fail, but crypto seems like it's just going to keep getting bigger and bigger. And it's, it's, it seems fairly unstoppable. Can't shut it down. People will literally do the mining for free just because they're so passionate about it. Having a system outside the government and the federal reserve, you know, our current monetary system, Henry Ford said it's well enough. Have you ever heard that it's well enough that the American people don't understand our current financial institution or there'd be a, a riot in the street before tomorrow morning. I mean, like our current system is so bad when people look at Bitcoin and they're skeptical. I'm like, man, if you understood our current system, you'd be begging for Bitcoin. That's interesting. In the most foundational way of buying Bitcoin, you would just go in and, and buy Bitcoin. If it increases, you make money. 
What are the top ways you suggest people to be able to get involved with Bitcoin beyond just a simple purchase of a Bitcoin and watching it go up or down? Well, here's my, my opinion. So obviously our background is network marketing, right? And there's good and bad about everything. And the, the bad part is there's so many Ponzi schemes out there that, you know, are riding on the credibility of Bitcoin, but they're hiding their, their little Ponzi scheme. But with that being said, the plus part of network marketing and crypto being together is you have somebody that can walk you through it and hold your hand and they've got videos. And, you know, I, I work with a company, Blockchain Alliance, that has, I think it's 115 videos. It's like eight and a half hours. And it teaches you that you want to learn about mining, you want to learn about trading, you want, and, and everybody can join for free. And they just give away this free education. Then they have a, a suite of products that you can pick and choose from. But they let everybody in for free and teach you everything for free. And so that is like, you, you can't get ripped off educating yourself. And so I, I think really that the first place to start, no matter what you do, is to get some education. Don't just hand someone money and hope. It's like you've heard the saying, wolves get fed and pigs get slaughtered. If you just want to hand someone money and hope that they, they make it for you, well, you're probably going to lose your money. So I, I think that the first place to start would be just, you know, like, how did you learn? I just watched a ton of YouTube videos. I, I read a lot and I did watch a lot of YouTube videos. Like every night I was just like deep dive and it, and it sucks because, and this is a cool thing about you know, now I'm promoting blockchain Alliance, but is how many videos did we have to watch to see one good one? Like I watched so many bad ones. Mm, I was fortunate enough to like listen to a couple of very um, influential and, you know, smart, you know, Michael Saylor being one of them. Raul, oh, dude, he's, he's Raul, the best. Raul, Raul Powell is also yeah. really good. Michael Saylor is my, my favorite. John McAfee was so good until he went crazy. And then it was like he was hurting the industry more than he was helping it. Yeah. John you know, McAfee, Michael Saylor. No, Michael Saylor. Well, John McAfee's, I'm pretty sure he's dead now. Um, but uh, Michael Saylor, absolutely. Uh, Raul mean, like, Paul is also really good. He's with Ron Vision. Paul or Raul Paul? Raul Paul. Raul Raul Paul. Paul. I'm thinking of like the... The, oh, Paul. The, the, the politician, no, not the politician. <laughs> no, Raul Paul. He's um, he's in the Cayman Islands. He's my uh, friend gave the politician Ron Paul his first Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting how uh, also not RuPaul. It's interesting how much Bitcoin opened up. Sort of, it went hand in hand with the nomad lifestyle too. Yeah, being able to essentially escape the matrix, if you would, you know, and be able to uh, build a life anywhere in the world. Uh, because now there's a payment system that can be used autonomously. So now that you have these people setting up these dream lives in Colombia and Costa Rica and Nicaragua, I was telling you, I was at Tim's house in Nicaragua and he told me like what he spent on it. And it's unbelievable. That's that, that, crazy. Yeah. His house in Nicaragua would be worth what? 30 million in, in Malibu. <laughs> I, I haven't been there, but yeah, Malibu beach houses start at like 15 to 20 million. And that's like a dilapidated shock. Like, well, similar to Santa Barbara. Yeah, Something nice is 30 plus. Yeah. But, but I also you just met, I just thought of something else for those viewers that don't want to actually buy Bitcoin and want some kind of um, stock to buy in a brokerage account. They can they can buy micro strategies. Oh, Symb yeah. Symbol is they're the, MSTR. They're, what, the number, they're like the number two holder. Yeah, of Bitcoin. So MSTR. I actually actually I like MSTR probably better than um, BITO, which is one to one um, Bitcoin. And the reason being is. Uh, the chairman of MicroStrategies is Michael Saylor, and so you're you're essentially buying uh, a software company that's developing technologies, especially around Bitcoin, and you also get the um, you know the movements of Bitcoin as yeah. on top of that. So you're you're essentially 
betting that things are going to, and if you pull up the chart on micro strategies, I mean, just this guy put it on like a six month. You see on the top, it says one D click at six M. And then it, I don't know if you're able to put Bitcoin chart in the past six months. It's, I believe it's outperformed Bitcoin. Wow. So well, dude, Michael Saylor does seem like just the smartest person on the planet, especially when it comes to crypto. He's like Jordan Peterson of social media. Michael Saylor. Dude, he's so good. He debates. Oh, you would know who this is. I, I can't remember his name. He debates like the number one gold expert in the world. Did you see that? No, I didn't see that. Oh, one. it's really good because this gold guy knows his stuff. And Michael, I, I would say, just destroys him with logic. Never gets nervous. Never gets heated. I mean, I would never want to debate Michael Saylor. <laughs> so you, you can see the, the charts. Um, that's pretty oh, cool. Yeah. I love being able to pull this up. So we never so had So what this is in the, the return in the past six months <laughs> Dude, on Bitcoin so versus, uh, versus MSTR? I don't have my glasses. 117% for MicroStrategy over the last six months versus 77% on well, Bitcoin. Well, there you go. And I, and I got and I gotta say, your returns are going to be greater uh, with MicroStrategies. Oh. I guarantee it. Looks like it, yeah. The hardest thing about Bitcoin is, like you mentioned, because it was not very regulated, so much sketchy weirdos got involved, just like the thing that lowers network marketing companies a lot. The thing that's amazing about the, the business model of direct sales is anyone can do it. Yeah. You don't need, it doesn't matter if you're from Yale or jail. My, one of my mentors and friends, John Melton, <laughs> always says, that. right? Like you can do it. You can join. You don't have to sign and go through a six step application process. Um, just to finally get your salary, you can go in right now, no excuses and start building a team, making money for maybe like 150 bucks to buy some product or, or whatever. It but is the, the average person's best chance. But the negative of it is that you are, it's way more wild, wild west. Well, do, do you remember a comedian? You might be too young. You, Jamie Kennedy. Oh, of yeah. course. Yeah. Okay. okay. All right. The Kennedy Malibu's experiment. Most Malibu's most wanted. He dated Jennifer Love Hewitt for a while. I signed him up in Vima. He actually came and did uh, one of the conventions with us. Told jokes for like ten. Minutes. He's a stand-up comedian, movie star. He's in Public Enemy. He's in a million things. You definitely, if you saw him, you'd be like, you know. And so, uh, so I, I got him involved in network marketing, which is like one of the hardest things in the world to do to get a celebrity like that to do it. And we hung out all the time. And he is so freaking smart. He goes, you know, Cliff. You know, the best thing about your industry is there's no barrier to entry. Anyone can do it. And you know what's the worst thing about your business? There's no barrier to entry. Anyone, <laughs> Anyone can, can do, do it. it. <laughs> and, and so it's, it, he's so right. Like, I've never coined it like that. But you just get so many people that join and they run out there, you know, half cocked and they don't know what they're doing. And they give us a bad name because they're just like, you know, running around with their hair on fire. Um, <laughs> and they don't know what they're doing. So it, it is true. Network marketing is the greatest industry in the world. But because there is no barrier to entry, it's not like... All attorneys at least have some level of intelligence. So, you know, Licensing. they had to, they had to get their law right. License. There's a filter with MLM. Everybody come in. So, yeah. Like, have you ever noticed at events, people with bad breath always want to tell you secrets? You know, they just come up. Let me talk. You just get you get a lot of weird people. You get a lot of weird people, you know, but it's it's hard because in that industry, if you're going to be successful, every dud turns into a stud. Every jabroni turns into a homie. So you can't count anyone out. And that's one thing that yeah. is a pro and a con of it. Cause it's like, yeah. well, dude, my number one earner of all time, this, this kid made 50 grand a week. And this is back in, this is back in 1999. So 50 grand a week. What would that be today? Any idea? With inflation. Yeah. Like 
What would the that be? A hundred grand a week? Two hundred? I don't know. The government stats or the real stats? I, I don't know. You, you tell me. But so, because I'm always like, I'm competitive, just like everybody else. Like I'm like, how much? Because he, he was making more than me. I was making a hundred grand a month. He was making fifty grand a week, and he was under me. I was like, gosh. But that's the cool thing about network marketing. You right. can always make more than the person, you know. But but anyway, my point was, uh, you know, every dud knows a stud, or every dud turns into a stud. He was just a kid from Downey who walked into our office with a job application and he worked at, uh, I think pizza hut or something. And he was trying to find a better job and he just walked into it. We had an office where we did the meetings and I was like, uh, no, we we're not hiring, but you can come back tonight and you know, we'll talk. So he comes to the meeting. He joins. I am not exaggerating. He didn't make a single check for probably like, I wish he was here right now. I, I want to say in a year, maybe he got three checks and he would just ask me questions all the time. And it finally got to the point where I was like, Duke, I'm not going to answer any more questions until you bring a guest. And, and then it, Eventually, his second year, I think he made a million bucks, and his third year made like two million. Three, like, but can you imagine for a year? He was the most shy. He's Thai, just quiet little shy guy. His dad was handicapped. I remember I went to their house once, and it was so dark because they didn't want to use electricity, you know. And uh, God, fifty grand a week. Sky pulled it up. It's worth ninety-one thousand today. Great work, Sky. Great wow. over here. Way to go. I'm on fire. Okay, so fifty grand a week. Back then would be not would be like a like hundred grand a week now. So it's like 400 grand a month. Damn. Yeah. That doesn't suck. One thing I think is interesting is that in MLM, everyone says it's so easy to get you in the door because it's like one of those things like it is technically really easy. You're sharing a product, but it's also really negative and hard in the sense that it's not that easy. It requires consistently doing that over long periods of time. But in other industries in non MLM world, everyone makes it sound way more difficult than it is. Right. Oh, you don't want to get into that way too much licensing, way too much barrier to entry. When in reality, it's typically just like one or two relationships with a supplier, you know? So in life, I feel like generally you need to just be more open to when people give feedback about certain things, like understand that it's feedback. And if you're hungry, you'll get the answer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like last night, our waitress was like, you know, pretty and smart. And, and one of us recommended that she got into real estate and she said, she goes, oh, there's so much competition there. And then what Ray said is so true. He's like, wherever there's money, there's you know, there's going to be comp. You have to start somewhere. There's going to be competition everywhere, no matter what you do. You, you just got to get in and start I mean, somewhere. Lawyer, lawyers have a lot of competition. Real estate agents have a lot of competition. But wherever you, there's money, there's going to be competition. But if you stay focused and you're you're hungry and you're, you know and you you're ambitious, uh, you'll be able to make it. What do you think separates a? Because real estate's one of those things that you throw a ball out down the street, you're going to run into three realtors. What do you think separates the successful ones versus the not? I would say that someone that has a personality, uh, like cliff where you're pretty much open-minded and you talk to people and you're networking it's, and really like meeting people, um, and connecting the dots. Yes. Everyone could be smart, but it's really about getting out there and networking and putting the puzzle together. That's what I would say that differentiates um, someone that's just average. Yeah, I remember in college, I went to college for a month. Um, I I went to Utah Valley State College because it was a junior college that sounded like a four year. And like I grew up Mormon and like all the Mormons had this plan. You know, if you weren't smart enough to get into a a good school, just go to UVSC because it was going to turn into a four year. And so I got in on the two-year plan, and then it turned into a four-year. So now when I tell people I went to UVSC, it sounds cool, but it wasn't when I went, and I, I went for a month. So, um, But I remember they said, 
something clever. God, what did they say? What were we talking about just before that? About what separates a good realtor from an average one. Oh yeah. They said, uh, communication skills was the number one skill tied to making money that no matter what you do, you're going to have to be good at like getting your point across and taking feedback. Just, just communication is, is probably, I believe the number one thing, uh, talent that you could work on to increase your income. Yeah. I feel like people want to do in any age group, but specifically more when you get older, people have less patience for bullshit. People have a better radar for bullshit and they just want to deal with people they like and trust. And those two things, likability and trustworthiness, it's one of those things. Like I like that saying that it takes years and decades to build up your reputation and one wrong decision to ruin it all. Right. But there's a, there's a, a saying for that. It's oh one Oh shit erases a thousand attaboys. Have you heard that before? No, it's, but no. it's, it's so true. It's like you, dude, you could be good your whole life. And then yeah, a couple of wrong choices. You know? you know, it's like the Will Smith thing, him slapping <laughs> when he did that, like that shit yeah. had some ripple effects, man. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't that crazy? Sure. And then, so who was it? Was it Chris Rock that he hit? Yeah. He right? slapped Chris Rock. Did, did you see the, the show that he did? like years later, or like a year later, Chris Rock did. Yeah. Where he like totally goes after Will hard. And then he like stumbled one part of his joke. Cause I think he got nervous. He like remembered how much that hurt or something. Cause Will's a big dude. And he said, so he started attacking him and you, he still did a good job, but you could tell like as a public speaker, you notice these things, right? He had this one little part. Now everyone's going to go watch it at, at the end. And you could tell when he was done, he was like, Oh, like not, not totally happy. Cause he did crush Will, but not as hard as he wanted to. Hmm. Anyway, yeah, but it's true. But reputation is really important. That's for sure. You, you, I mean, you can it could take 20 years or, or longer to build it and then you can lose it overnight. And so it must be huge uh, in your world. And in my world, in my massive town, transactions, in my, in my town, it's a small town. It's like I have to have a good relationship with with our city, uh, with, you know, our political leaders or, or you know, just investors, colleagues you know, brokers. It's, it's really crucial because, you know, you do one bad thing, you're, you're, you're blacklisted. I mean, bigger towns, like if I was in Miami, I think it'd different. be a little different or New York or LA, but Santa Barbara, everyone talks, you know, you know, it's funny as in network marketing, your reputation is so important, but we know so many people that do bad things and yet they succeed over and over again. Like, well, you can spin it in MLM cause you're an entrepreneur. Yeah. You know, it's like, well, oh, that's no. not my side of the story. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it, that's so interesting though. It's the wild, wild west. Oh, you can totally be is. like sort of a scummy person, but that's the following you have and you're killing it, you know? Yeah. But that's also a lot of businessmen are in that category too. Yeah. You know, deep down people just want to live like Wolf of Wall Street, especially Gosh. a lot of dudes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And well, you, network marketing has changed so much since when I got started, it was all about personal development and you had to go to all the seminars and you had to read the books. And I'm not saying that that doesn't still coexist in the industry today, but there's a lot more of the millennials that are like, I just want to learn, you know, sales funnels or like, they just want to get to the income fast. And like, forget the personal development. I just want to learn Instagram, you know? So it's, it's a, it's, and social media has changed MLM a lot in the aspect that it's a lot easier to build a team now because, you know, picking, we used to call it the 800 pound phone back in the day when you had to call someone, it was like, Oh God, you're so nervous. Now you can just text someone like really quickly. Right. So Instagram has made it a lot easier or just social media in general to build a team, but it's made it harder to keep a team. Cause as soon as you recognize someone, there's 20 people trying to recruit them. You yeah. know, there's back in the day, it was like your team was kind of your physical location. 
you know, now it's, it's all over the place and you got everybody hitting on your wife. <laughs> well, you're a great example of the coin, your network equals your net worth, right? It's the idea that who you rub shoulders with and who you're chatting with on a day-to-day basis uh, can determine a lot about your ability to move the needle. And that's something that Cliff, you are unbelievable at. I mean, you're the oh, guy. Stop it some more. You're the guy for all <laughs> the guys, right? Like you're the, it, you're the, I know a guy for so many people. And your ability to have created that is due to the fact that you've done that for so many other people and you've never burned bridges. Like that's something that when just speaking with you and smoking a cigar with you, you're really good at not burning bridges. I just don't like drama and I could never stay mad for very long. And I just like, you know, one thing we were talking about this morning is like, I should paper up more often. Like I do so many handshake deals and I, I know I should paper up more often and, and be more contractual. And I'm not a very good negotiator. I'm really good at people skills. I'm a horrible negotiator. I'm horrible at getting papered up. Um, but I, I guess I subconsciously made this decision. And now that I'm older, I'm dealing with bigger numbers. You kind of have to get papered up on certain things. But my philosophy in the past, not consciously, but subconsciously, I think was I'm so bad at negotiating. I don't want to do it, you know, and to be organized in case there was a lawsuit, I'd have to, you know, keep all these records and receipts and all this kind of stuff. I just always thought, you know what, I'm going to get screwed sometimes, but I'm not going to have to ever be organized. And I'm just going to stay focused on <laughs> happy, positive stuff. And I'm just not going to do it. And so I literally, I I've been, you know, screwed so many times. Um, but I just always stayed at like, if someone screws me, I'm just never going to work with them again. You know what I mean? But there's plenty of people I could have sued or plenty of people if I'd have had a contract, but on the bright side, I always got to be in Peter Pan land. You know, I, I've just always stayed in that mental zone, but it's true though. as you get older and you deal with bigger numbers, it, you realize you can't just keep living forever. Like now I'm 45, I'll be 46 in like a week. You know, you got to start thinking about retirement and you know, having a substantial amount of money instead of just having cash flow, which is like what I've always had. I'd also have to add to that. I mean, Cliff, even if you had contracts, then you have to defend yourself too. spend a fortune with attorneys, time, and energy, time, energy. And, 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 and that added stress is maybe not worth it to be oh, honest. Dude, yeah. And like, so, well, so I don't know. I don't know if you, know, there's a friend of mine, Jason Karamanis, and I don't think he cares if I mention his name, he's a total boss, but it's like, you know, he's always like, I mean, he's helped so many people and given them money and he has contracts, but he, he spends probably half of his time, you know, enforcing them or chasing people. And, and, uh, you know, he's the first to say it's very stressful. Right. Well, on that note, both of you guys have had tremendous success in your careers. I mean, when you look at your lives, I mean, it's, it's in that smallest percentage of stars in the sky. It's, it's incredible what you've done. I mean, like the 2%, he's in like the 0.001%. <laughs> well, when you think about it, a lot of people just think like, if I only had this much money, I'm going to be happy. And, you know, what has been your relationship with just genuinely like being happy throughout your life? And how do you think that's changed? What have been some of the lessons you've learned? Uh, for me, what makes me happy is um, connecting with nature. And um, whether that's going on a nice hike or going to a nice beach or scuba diving or fishing, it's just connection with, with nature is really help me cope with the stresses yeah and 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 maybe doing more of it now um and the it, the wake-up call was really last year when my father passed away and i said to myself you know why work so hard you know i need to enjoy life a little bit more and so 
I've decided this year it is travel. Sorry to hear about that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. That's tough. It's been tough, but yeah. But, um, yeah, it's a different perspective for sure. You know, maybe do projects that you really love and, and enjoy life. Things that really make you happy. I feel like we get caught in routines 24 seven and we're just, I, unfortunately, but I, I try to just let it go and just not fight every battle. And, you know, I may have contracts cliff, <laughs> uh, you don't, I do, but sometimes I choose not to enforce them, you know? Yeah. Sometimes. And it's just, it's just not worth it. It's too taxing. So getting and, out in nature, you found fills your cup when it comes to just, yeah, whenever I'm stressed out, I go for a hike or do something that, or on a bike ride, you know, I, I told Cliff this um, three weeks ago. I rode my bike from San Francisco to um, Santa Monica. Um, it was a fundraiser, AIDS um, founding, or it was an AIDS uh, nonprofit um, bike ride. And so I did that. Hey, that's far. 500, 545 miles. Huh. Um, I did that on a motorcycle once and I almost died. 545 With, with 2,000 other bikers, but yeah. Yeah, 545 miles. And that's something that you think about. Uh, you, I, you look back at that like that was sick. Yeah, I mean, most people donate money. I donated money, and I also I I also did the, did ride, the ride, you know? So That's so cool because I just saw this thing recently, and it says that if every year you do, let's just say, six mini adventures, whether it's that, whether it's going, you know, sailing, whatever. Maybe it's going to the Everglades and looking at alligators, some mini adventure. If you did that every year for 20 years, you're at like 240, whatever that math is, adventures. And sometimes those are the things that we actually think about. But if you're not practical about spending time and actually fulfilling yourself, it's what are you actually doing it all for, you know? Yeah. So. But I don't know. I think it the, the, it's just so personal to everyone. Yeah, everyone. The, the topic of happiness, right? Exactly. Because <laughs> ideally, you want to be successful, but in your mind, it's like you know a lot of people think of success like the Wolf of Wall Street vibe. But like, what does success mean to you? You know? Yeah. No. For me, successful. I'm fortunate to have really two really great daughters. Um, you know, and I they're smart. They're healthy. I'm very fortunate. So. That's amazing. Yeah. And Cliff, for you, what is how how have has your perspective on being happy changed, Mr. Columbia? It, it's changed so many times. So like, when I was 19 and I was broke and I just got started in network marketing, I think I was working doing telemarketing or blockbuster video. I had so many crappy jobs, but like for me, what would make me happy back then, 19 year old Cliff, was developing a reputation and making a lot of money and getting the nice car and the big house, and and being the guy on stage. And so I did that, and that made me happy then. That's, I wouldn't even want to do that today. So it's what's, I've always done whatever felt right and whatever I felt like would make me happy. And it's changed so many times. I've been kind of like semi-retired for like five years. And I just, uh, I don't know why I'm like, I don't have a wife. I don't have kids. I feel like the, the world is my house and I want to see every bedroom. So I typically do like a country a week. I've been to 87 countries and just on the note of you talking about, you know, doing like Everglades, you know what I did that. Um, I've done, I've walked tigers, you know, skydiving in Africa, broke my leg. That was fun. I've done so many weird, crazy things. <clears throat> so for me right now, it's, it's travel. And people say, what book are you reading? And I'm like, just not in that stage right now. I'm not like, there was a time where I was go to every seminar, read every book. And I, I'll probably get back into reading books again soon, but it seems to be a hot question. What book are you reading right now? I'm not, 
uh, I'm traveling and I'm just enjoying life. And which is such a great teacher. Yeah, it's interesting because like I get lonely. Like I've been to 87 countries by myself, and people say, "Don't you get lonely like eating in a restaurant by yourself?" I'm like, "Nope." But if I sit at home by myself in my apartment, I'll get lonely. Like if I'm sitting still, I'll get lonely. But if I'm moving forward, I, I really don't. That's interesting. I get lonely pretty, like, I'm such an extrovert. <laughs> you get lonely easily? <laughs> I get lonely pretty easily. But Dude, you, so I could never eat at a restaurant by myself and, until you start traveling. And it's like, you have an excuse. You're traveling. Well, I, if, for if travel, you, it's different. It's different, right? Totally. And you start at sushi bars because you don't really feel so alone. And then you can always talk to people. Like, I have a whole system, you know? Well, yeah, when you're traveling, though, you're, you're literally, you're on a mission. Yeah. Like, you're, you're out here renegade, right? But when you're home, alone, in your own place, you're like, wow, I have to create something in my life. And I think that's also why people, anxiety comes from just not taking action. Oh, totally. <laughs> you know? I, I, that's when I get the most upset is when I'm just doing nothing. And I just feel like, <laughs> what am I doing with my life? Like, I'm a yeah. piece of shit. Like, I have those inner thoughts. But those are also negative thoughts that you have to just, like let go through you because that's life. Negative turns into positive. You need to have hard things that happen to ever enjoy anything. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Like, you know, traveling by yourself, I find I meet more people when I travel by myself because if we're all together at a restaurant, we're kind of like, you know, we're all focused like this, but when you're by yourself, people are so nice and they're like, Hey, like, dude, I've been invited to so many Christmases and random countries. And like when you're by yourself, people like, I don't want to say they feel sorry for you, but they're just more like they're more open to talking to you and pulling you into their little world. Totally. Th than when, when you're with a crew of people or two people. So <clears throat> I just love it. I feel like Leonardo DiCaprio and, and Titanic where he just gets on the ship and he's just going and, you know, it's just, I don't know. Travel is still romantic to me. You would think I've had Christmases in airports, New Year's in the air. Like you would think I'd be over it, but it's, it's interesting because always like the two best days of my month are the day I leave for a trip and the day I come home. Like you can't wait to get home and then you're <laughs> yeah, there for a week true. and you can't wait to get out again. You're totally. Just, that's true. It's like when you visit your like a uh, relative or something, you're like, wow, this is so exciting. I'm in the airport. There they are. Two days later, you're like, get me the F out. Yeah. <laughs> like I've been on this trip on the yacht cruise and I know we started in uh, Rome and then we ended in Barcelona. We did a different country almost every day. And so, you know, that was seven days. Plus we got there a few days early. We stayed a few days late, then New York for a week. Then now here in Miami, I think I've been gone almost like six weeks, so I can't wait to get home, see my dogs, ride my motorcycle, just like, you know, rest. Well, I know you guys got your conference coming up, so I'm keeping that in, in, uh, in check. But something I always love to ask everyone that comes on the show, if you could go back in time and you could have seen yourself when you were maybe 16 years old and the current you could talk to the 16 year old you and maybe say like one, two or three things that might have just really potentially change your perspective on life and obviously some people say you know invest in bitcoin or uh you know certain things like what those are, are some, obvious ones what, what are some of those things that you might have told a young a young version of you knowing what you know now that's a tough question um i would i would say broaden your knowledge in different industries um i would also probably recommend as a younger person say at a college to start out in a bigger city um, I started out in a, in a small city, Santa Barbara, California, and it's not exactly an easy, easy place to start a business. It's, it's very difficult. And so, um, so that I would recommend someone to start out in a bigger city and broaden their knowledge 
and see what they really like and then just specialize in that get out like see more see more don't don't sit yeah. in your backyard and conquer go yeah. go get get somewhere where you're open to more opportunities and the other thing i would recommend is for for a younger person to travel more you know i didn't start traveling until i had money you know i i had the opportunity right out of college to visit the entire world practically uh, i lived in a dormitory called the international house at berkeley uc berkeley and i met people from all over the place and after graduation, they were inviting me to go visit their their home, their home country. And I didn't do that. You know, I, I, I you know, I, I wish it would have taken six months and traveled. But I didn't do that because I didn't have the money or I had some money, but I didn't want to choose to do that. I, I yeah. wanted to build my business, you know. It's interesting. So, there seems like there's so much people like when I was in Colombia, people were so nice to me. Oh, that's like, they just wanted to welcome you in. They didn't care if you had or didn't have money. They just saw you as people, especially in Medellin. Just everybody's friends, even if they don't know each other. Like, it's just, you know, everybody's so friendly. So, Cliff, if you could go back in time and Rhett, thank you so much for sharing that. That was that was powerful. And yeah. it's something that I think is important. I even felt that with when I went to UNH. But shit, if I could go back in time, I went to college and like. First of all, somewhere warm, <laughs> you know, and somewhere that you meet more people in different cultures, which is why I'm in Miami today. It's a melting pot. You got people from all over the world here in Miami. It's like it's like South America in the U.S. It's ridiculously expensive if you hang out in Miami Beach. I'm like, <laughs> yes, it is. But uh, but it's a great vibe and great people. Yeah. But so what would you, if you could go back and talk to 16 year old Cliff, who I would love to meet 16 year old Cliff. I, I mean, like. I pretty much did everything in life perfectly. So no, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, I, I wouldn't change anything. It's I'd go back and talk to like 25 year old Cliff. Cause that's when I started making some mistakes. 16 year old Cliff was pretty cool. I just went to school and you know, I was a good kid and I played football and you know, I, I, I don't think there's anything I would change it at 16. I think, uh, and then at 19, I was so wicked on track. Like I just personal development every day and seminars and books. And, you know, from 19 to 25, I was laser, you know, um, it wasn't until 25 when I had a decent amount of money and I was living in the Hollywood Hills and, you know, you're partying with celebrities and you're, you're way over, I mean, I was spending a hundred grand a month on lifestyle because I'm trying to look like them. I'm trying to keep up with the Joneses, yeah. you know? Um, and then you get off track and, you know, it's party too much and stuff. So I would say from 25 to 30, I, I would smack the shit out of that cliff, you know? And, and then at 30, I just got right back on track again. So, but I feel like I, that those five years were a lot of fun, but I could be farther ahead today and life's not a competition. It's not all about how far, but like, you know, a party is fun, but you don't need to do it for five years. But it's, it's interesting that I never got a bad reputation for that. Like I've heard people say bad things about me. But none of the things that were really the bad things that I did, I'm like, Shh, that's not even nearly the worst thing I've done. <laughs> you, you got it all wrong. So I, I would go back and tell 25 year old Cliff just to stay focused. And like, I could have just partied for one year instead of five, you know? It's interesting to me that when you party with someone, though, you really deepen a relationship. It, you know, I was yeah. talking to somebody about this just recently. It was like, you know, does drinking help you more in business or hurt you? At, I mean, I never went to a meeting drunk or nothing like that ever, right? So for me, drinking, it's like you do create relationships and bonds. I had this great argument for smoking when I was like 19. I moved to an all-Chinese neighborhood, and everybody would go outside and smoke. And like that's where people would become friends, exchange phone numbers. <laughs> so I say drink more, smoke more, do as much drugs as you can, kids. Um, I'm trying to be like Theo now, right? <laughs> no, but um, there is an argument for it. I mean, it's called social lubricant for a reason. 
but you know that balance you know you can overdo it for sure definitely when it's in control yeah i mean we're all having shots now right for sure i'm down yeah (laughs) this has been great we we should have had it here like who does the weed on their podcast is that joe rogan Elon Musk was smoking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We should have all had a shot right here. I'm down. My thing is, like, I, I definitely love weed. I smoke weed almost every night. I get paranoid, but I'm just not. I'm not good at like communicating when I'm high. But I want to get better. I've had girls all the time. Hey, you know, we're gonna we're gonna hook up or get together. Let's smoke weed first. I say it's not gonna end like you think. It's gonna end with me in the corner sucking my thumb, scared. Like (laughs) I I wish I liked weed. All my friends like weed. I just, I, I get, I get tired, hungry, paranoid. That's it. But guys, I appreciate you. Thank you so much for coming. Right. This you. is awesome. I, 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 this is phenomenal. Thank you. I'm glad we connected. Shout out BK Skyler. Bareko. <laughs> Sky, I know. Sky's BK. crushing it over here. First time rocking this thing over here. Dude, it's so cool. It makes it feel like a professional studio in a house, which is what you have here. House studio. So with that said, enjoy Miami. Thank Keep you. out of the heat. Learn some crypto stuff. Until See next time. See you in Española. Great. This is a damn good day to have a damn good day.